you take a Bible and turn to Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 1, like I said in my prayer, we want to hear what God has to say about what the role of the church is in engaging the world. Acts chapter 1, page 770. The reason we turn to Acts chapter 1 is we're going to look at verses 6 through 8, and this is the last conversation that Jesus has with his disciples before he ascends to heaven. And the topic of his conversation is what the role of the church is to be in engaging the world. Jesus is leaving and wants to leave his disciples instructions, telling them to wait. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon them at Pentecost, what we're celebrating 1970 years ago. And Jesus' last words to his disciples have to do with what they as the church are supposed to be doing in his absence. So look with me, verses 6 through 8, Acts chapter 1. When they, the disciples and Jesus, met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, this is a very important passage because these are Jesus' last words before he ascends to heaven. In order to understand what it is that Jesus says, we need to understand first the question that the disciples are asking Jesus. In verse 6, they say, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Essentially, what the disciples are asking is, Jesus, are you going to do now what we had been reading about us here at Calvary in First and Second Samuel? Are you going to establish a kingship here like David was king over Israel? Are you going to get rid of Caesar? Are you going to put a king in place? Are we going to get rid of all of these secular rules and laws? And are we going to have laws uh, and, and institutions that actually honor God? Are we going to put people into positions of power so that God's name is honored? That's what they're asking when they say, are you now going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, one of the implications from their question is that God, Jesus hadn't been doing this up to this point. They don't say, are you going to finish restoring the kingdom to Israel? What they say is, is, hey, look, is now the time? Essentially, they're like, okay, look, we finally get the whole deal with the cross and the resurrection. But what about society? What are we going to do about these pagan worship practices? What do we do about the fact that Caesar's still in charge? What do we do about all these legalistic Jewish leaders who are running our society and culture here in, uh, here in Israel? What are we supposed to do about uh, judges who do not seem to fear God and honor God? And essentially what the disciples are saying to Jesus is, well, wait a second, where, where are you going? Like, are you going to fix this place or not? Like, ostensibly, Jesus seems to have done nothing to change society at all. And now he's leaving and the disciples want to go, well, wait, wait, wait a minute, where are you going? What, 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 are, what are you going to do about all the problems we see in society today. Now, when they ask this question, are you now going to fix society? If Jesus had given a simple yes, 
In this context, we would know that the church's job, our job is to reform society. Our job is to make sure that people who are elected to positions of power are God-fearing people. We need to make sure that laws that are passed and policies that are put in place are those that honor God and those that are in accordance with God's will. We need to make sure that people who are in positions of influence are those who help us uh, lead us back to God. If Jesus had given a simple no to the question, well, then we would know that the church has nothing to do with society. Society can do whatever they want. We're going to do what we want. It doesn't matter who's elected. It doesn't matter what laws are passed. It doesn't matter how people in the world behave. Let the world do their thing and we'll do our thing. But Jesus doesn't give a simple yes or no to the question. What does he say? Verse 7. It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. That's not a yes. (laughs) And that's not really a no. Instead, verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Here Jesus is presenting a third option. That the church is not here to reform society. And the church is not here to provide a way to avoid society. But that God is creating the church as a witnessing community to society. If Jesus had said yes, our job would be to reform society. If he said no, our job would be to avoid society. What Jesus says is, is, look, I'm doing something different. I'm creating the church to be a witnessing community to society. Well, that sounds great, but what does that mean? What does it mean to be a witnessing community to society? Well, fortunately, we not only have Jesus' last words before he ascends to heaven, we have a record of the Spirit coming and how the Spirit works this out in the life of the church. And in the first few chapters of the book of Acts, We have, I think, at least five things of what it means to be a witnessing community in society today. I'd like to look through them with you. So flip over to Acts chapter 2, verse 40. Acts chapter 2, context is the Spirit comes upon the believers. The church is created. The first thing that they do is Peter stands up and he shares the gospel. He shares the gospel with all who are present. And the very last line of his gospel presentation, look at it, verse 40. Peter says, with many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Peter has announced to them that Jesus has come, that he is God himself. Come who has died for our sins, that we might have forgiveness of sins. He's been raised to life so that we can have eternal life. And at the end of his gospel presentation, at the end of the good news about Jesus, Peter says, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Now, it's interesting. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, save this generation from corruption. He says, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And the very first thing it means for the church to be a witnessing community is that it's our job to share the gospel with the world. 
Our job is not to save this generation from corruption. Our job is to urge people in this generation to come out of the kingdom of darkness, which is the world, and come into the kingdom of light, which is Jesus' kingdom. That like Paul says in Philippians 3, our job is to urge people to take their minds off of the things of the earth and become citizens of heaven, waiting for Jesus, our Savior, to come from heaven and transform all things. So the first aspect of what it means for the church to be a witnessing community is that it's our job to share the good news of Jesus Christ with the world. That's why God created the church. Second aspect of what it means to be a witnessing community. Acts 2 verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Jump down to verse 47. They were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The second aspect of what it means to be a witnessing community is that God has tasked the church with setting up an alternative to society. That what's going on here is, is that the first disciples and the first Christians did not set out to transform the wider culture that was Roman and Jewish into a Christian culture. They didn't set out to make sure that all the music that was being played in the culture was Christian. They didn't set out to make sure that all the laws that were passed were Christian. Instead, what they were doing was creating a distinct and separate culture in the church. That it was an alternative to what people were experiencing in the world. In the book of Acts, you'll find that the church does not eradicate poverty in the world. But they do eradicate poverty in the church. It says that there were no needy people among them because they were generous to one another and shared with one another as the Lord had blessed them. What they're doing is they're creating a distinct entity called the church. And they're encouraging people to come out of the world and come into the church and to experience the kind of love and fellowship and generosity and relationships that are supposed to happen in this place. That's still going on today. There are many people who are part of Calvary Church who have come to faith because they have come to be part of this community and here in the worship or the generosity or the friendliness or the honesty or the integrity or whatever that they've experienced here that comes from the Lord, they've seen, wait a minute, something different is going on here than what's going on in the world. And they've come to faith. That's the role of the church. Our job is not to try to create something that the world will look at and go, ooh, that works out really well. How do we adopt those best practices for ourselves? The church's job is not to do that. The church's job is to create an alternate society, an alternate culture here that people in the world come to and say, I want your Lord to be my Lord. And so not only do we share the gospel, we create a different culture here than what people experience out there so that people will come to know our Lord. Third aspect. 
Acts 3, verse 6. Peter and John are going to the temple. And a man cries out for them. Uh, he wants healing from them. Money and healing. Verse 6, Peter says to this man, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Here Peter is using the miraculous power that God has given to him to show kindness to a man who is crippled. Peter will later describe it as an act of kindness shown to a crippled person. And the third aspect of what we as the church are to be doing as we engage with the world is showing God's kindness and miraculous power to those who are in need. That means as Christians and as the church, we are to be engaged with helping feed and clothe non-Christians who may be in need. That as the church, we should be visiting those who are in the hospital and who are sick, who don't know Jesus, and praying for God's miraculous power to come and heal them so that they can know Jesus. We should be engaged with helping people who do not yet know God be miraculously set free from demonic oppression in this world. That it's our job as the church to show kindness and God's miraculous power to the world so that people might be blessed. Fourth aspect, still in chapter 3, verses 25 and 26. After Peter and John healed this man, a crowd gathers because this has been an amazing miracle. Peter takes this opportunity to address the crowd and he goes through and accuses them of wickedness and sin. And we get to the verse 25. Peter says, And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, Through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you Look at this. By turning each of you from your wicked ways. Peter here is talking about the role of prophet. He's saying that Jesus came. He is God's servant who was sent as a prophet to this world. And the church is simply carrying on Jesus's prophetic ministry. Now that Jesus has ascended to heaven. And what we're called to do as we engage the world is to be prophets for the world. Now, a prophet is not a social worker. A prophet is not a politician. A prophet is not a legislator. What a prophet does is a prophet says, that's not right. God doesn't like that. The prophet is the one who denounces sin and says, look, if you want to experience the blessings of God, it's not down that road. That's not the way to get there. That's what the prophet does. Take, for example, John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a prophet. 
He was very outspoken about the fact that Herod, who was the ruler at that time, that it was wrong for Herod to be married to his brother's wife. And John the Baptist makes that known. Now, what he doesn't do is he doesn't try to get Herod deposed and removed from office. John the Baptist doesn't try to assassinate Herod. John the Baptist does not picket and march in front of Herod's palace, denouncing Herod and trying to foil what he's trying to do in government. But what John the Baptist does do is he does say, look, what you've done is wrong. This is not pleasing in God's eyes. That's the role of the prophet. Now, listen. Of the five principles, this one is the trickiest. This one is the hardest one to try to live out in the world today. How do we make sure that as prophets, that the message we are communicating to the world is God's message and not our message? How do we make sure that when we tell the world, look, that behavior is not appropriate. God does not approve of that. That is not the pathway to blessing. How, when we do that, do we do it out of a spirit of love and a desire to see people experience the blessings of God and not out of anger or hatred? How do we fulfill this role of prophet today? It's very difficult. It's very tricky to think through. How do we make sure that we don't get dragged into being more than a prophet? Which is always a danger. I love what happens in John 6 and what Jesus says in John 6. Jesus has just fed 5,000 people. It says, as the people are talking about what they just see, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to make him king by force withdrew again to a mountain by himself. There's always a temptation for the world to try to convince the prophet to become the king. How do we make sure we stay in the role of prophet? How do we make sure that our job is to tell the world about God, to declare that sin is sin, but to not get sunked into the position of being king. I talked earlier in the sermon about violence in our society. The church must not be silent about such things because God abhors that kind of violence. God did not create humanity so that we could kill each other. That's not the purpose for which he has created us. That's the job of prophet. But it's not the church's job to be engaged in trying to pass gun control legislation. It's not the church's job to be engaged in trying to make sure that there are stricter penalties in society for those who engage in violence. The church's job is to be the prophetic voice saying violence is wrong. That's not the road to blessing. But the church must be careful that we remain prophet and not get dragged into becoming king. The church must be careful that we remain prophet and not get dragged into being legislators. That's the fourth aspect. God left the church in the world not to ignore the world, 
but to prophetically say, that's wrong. The blessings of God do not come that way. Fifth aspect. Acts chapter 4, verse number 29. After this great miraculous healing, Peter and John are dragged in before the Sanhedrin. And they are persecuted and threatened. Verse 29. After they return to the church community, they pray together. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. The fifth aspect of what it means to be a witnessing community in this society is it's our job to endure persecution. It's our job to endure persecution. I told you last week about this book that's so critical of evangelical Christians for adoption. What's the church's response to such literature? It's not to shout people down. It's not to argue them into seeing our point of view. It's to endure the persecution and realize that when you do the things that Jesus wants you to do, the world is going to hate you for it. And that our job is not to convince them to love us. Our job is not to out-argue them. Our job is not to be louder than they are. Our job is, is to endure the persecution of doing what God wants us to do. These are the five aspects of what it means to be a witnessing community to the world. That Jesus did not put us here to reform society, nor did he put us here to avoid society. Instead, what he wants us to do is to share the gospel, to create an alternative to what is going on in the world out there here, to show God's kindness and miraculous power to the world to bless them, to denounce sin as sin and say the blessings of the Lord do not come through that path, and to endure persecution. Now I mentioned at the beginning of the service, society's attempt to legitimize homosexual behavior. How do these five principles relate to that? Well, very simply, first, Jesus has left us here to share the gospel with all who struggle with homosexual activity. That to announce to them that through Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of sins is possible and that they can have eternal life. Second, to create a community in the church where God's rules for sexuality, all his rules for sexuality, are honored in this place. That looks different than what's going on in the world. Three, to show kindness and God's miraculous power to any who want to identify themselves as homosexuals, who may be struggling financially, or experiencing bullying, or experiencing physical sickness, whatever it may be, to demonstrate God's kindness and miraculous power to bless them on behalf of Jesus Christ. Fourth, the role of prophet is to declare that homosexual activity is not pleasing to the Lord. 
whether or not people want to identify themselves as being married or not married, that God has said homosexual activity is a sin. And the church's job is to say that. But fifth, it means to endure whatever persecution comes from taking that stand. This is what it means to be a witnessing community in the world. Our job is not to fix society. Our job is not to avoid society. Our job is to be a witnessing community to society. Now, we've only had the chance to look at the first four chapters of the book of Acts. This is a controversial subject. It's a difficult subject. I'd encourage you, search the scriptures for yourself. Go through the rest of the book of Acts. See how the church lives out the commission that Jesus gave to them. It's an important thing to understand, especially on the church's birthday. Why did God create us? What are we here to do? What's the way in which we're supposed to engage with the world around us? The world has its opinions. Believers have our opinions. But God has said what he wants to see happen. As one final illustration of what it means to be a witnessing community. Think about the Lord's Supper that we're about to participate in. And think about these five aspects of being a witnessing community in relation to the Lord's Supper. Number one, when we participate in communion, Jesus tells us, Paul says it, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Communion is a gospel presentation that Jesus has died and is risen from the dead so that we might have eternal life. Number two, when we celebrate communion, we realize that this is a ceremony that God gave to the church and not to the world. Our job is not to go try to get the world to celebrate communion. In fact, communion is forbidden to do those who are not yet believers in Jesus. This is a demonstration that what goes on in here, not these four walls, but amongst us as a believing community, is supposed to look different than what's going on in the world. And that our goal is to celebrate communion and to invite people out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Say, come be part of this celebration with us. Number three, every communion service, we take a benevolence offering to help those who are in financial need in our community, whether they're believers or not. That's what communion is here to teach us. Number four, thinking of the role of prophet. When we take communion, we are reminded that God cannot stand sin. That even among believers... We must first confess our sins and the ways that we have disobeyed God and displeased God before we're allowed to participate in communion. And number five, celebrating communion in the history of the church has been a reason why the church has been persecuted. Even today, communion can be seen as something that is intolerant or passe or silly and we can be mocked we can be persecuted for the celebration of the Lord's Supper. And our job is to endure that persecution. And so this morning as we partake of communion, I want to encourage you to examine your hearts. I want to encourage you that as the bread and the cup are distributed, that you take them and hold on to them. We'll participate in them together. There'll be a chance for singing. There'll be a chance for uh, you to engage in that way. 
But as you take communion on this, the church's birthday, I want you and I to think through what it is that Jesus did for us because that helps us understand what we are supposed to do for the world. Jesus did not come to reform us. He came to transform us. Jesus did not come to pass new laws for us. He came to set us free from the law. Jesus did not come to restore a nation, but to create a different community where he rules and reigns as Lord. And as we come to the Lord's Supper, we want to be the church that Jesus has called us to be. Let's pray together. Father, these are indeed important topics for us to think through. Lord, would you grant that your spirit would be here renewing our minds and our hearts that we might understand and think through and be the church you want us to be. Jesus, I thank you that you did not come here to modify our behaviors, but you came here to save us. You came here to transform us, to allow us to be conformed to your image. I pray, Lord Jesus, that as we are transformed, we might be a witnessing community to the society in which we live. Lord, that many would come to faith, that many would be transformed. Lord, that you would call them out of the darkness and into the light. God, help us to be faithful to the task you've given us to do. As we celebrate communion this day, remind us, Lord Jesus, of the persecution you suffered for our behalf. Remind us of the death that you died so that we could have eternal life. And thank you for creating a new community for us to be. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.